the way design thinking works best is really to have a team, a team of very diverse people with different backgrounds, with different experiences in their life, with different functional roles, but also with different personalities, because the true value comes from this diversity. That's the power of design thinking. Hello and a very warm welcome to this, our second series of transformation stories from the award-winning Valtec Cafe. Last year, we spoke to more than 25 global brands and industry experts about their experiences of digital transformation. And this series is no different. From airlines to retailers, manufacturers to healthcare companies, this is a podcast series that strips away the digital buzzwords and challenges what we all thought we knew about our industry. Covering topics from the circular economy to customer experience, emerging tech to composable architectures, we're removing the filters and getting to the bottom of what's really going on in digital today. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. What is design thinking and how can it be applied to your business to help you to transform? In this interview, I'm speaking to Claudia Boccia, Senior Transformation Consultant here at Valtech, to help us answer those questions and to explain the concepts behind this human-centric approach. We'll talk about how to embed design thinking into your organization and the considerations you need to think about when embarking on a design thinking journey of your own. Claudia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's start with an introduction to you, your background, and your role here at Valtech, as well as your work within the design thinking sphere. Well, at Valtech, I'm usually working as a digital strategist, and as that, we want to ensure that whatever kind of digital challenge or project a customer wants to embark on, that it is embedded in the surrounding business strategy. The digital is not just some keyword or it doesn't really add value per se, but it needs to be related to the, a specific business objective. So usually we are be- involved in the beginning of the client engagement and help the project team to dig deeper, to get a true understanding of what the client really needs. Perfect. And how about a little bit more of an introduction into you and your background and how did you get into the design thinking world? Well, from my background, I have been working most of my professional life in product management roles and product management organizations of B2B software companies. And as such, uh, of course, a B2B software company wants to create software products that create revenues, but the real ambition is to create software that people really like to use and not just use because they have to. So it was kind of an automated thing that later I I came across user-centered design. And from there, it's another step to design thinking. For me, design thinking is even more than user-centered design. So design thinking, I mentioned there in the introduction that lots of people might make the mistake of referring to design thinking as a process or a set of steps you need to follow to achieve design thinking. But that's really not the case, is it? To you, it's in fact much more of a mindset. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Maybe you have to take a step back and think about what is the mindset. And the mindset is really um, a set of attitudes. And design thinking is a lot about a team trying to find a solution for a real complex challenge. And as such, as, as a team, it's important to share a common set of attitudes or a mindset that helps the team to really collaborate in a way that 
gets the most value out of the collaboration and also the most value for the target users of the challenge or the target people. I mean, design thing is really about humans designing solutions for humans. It's this human aspect that's really going deep there. And for that, you need to have an open attitude towards humans in a general way. You have to really, well, in the ideal case, you love humans, you love people, and, and you love to learn about what their needs are, what they're striving for, what they want to achieve. And only by going in this deep relationship and working on building an intuitive understanding of the other people, you are able to discover really an innovative solution for challenges. And the real basic for, for those people collaborating is this common set of attitudes. I think one of the reasons that people make this assumption is in the name itself, design thinking. Many think that design thinking is just for designers still, and that's also absolutely not the case, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> just let's look at the beginning, how design thinking really started coming into the world, if you can really put a, an event to that. In a sense, it started at Stanford, where the original thinking was to involve design practitioners to teach actual technical engineers how to designers approach their challenges so that the technical engineers can learn from designers a different way to approach problem solving. And already in its beginning, design thinking was explicitly not for designers, but provided by designers for non-design people to help non-design people to profit from all the best practices as well. And in the end, I mean, the way design thinking works best is really to have a team, a team of very diverse people with different backgrounds, with different experiences in their life, with different functional roles, but also with different personalities, because the true value comes from this diversity. That's the power of design thinking. So it might make sense to have a designer on the team, but by no way it's reduced to designers. You would lose a big chunk of power if you would just have designers in the design thinking team. Okay, this is great. So we have the kind of design thinking 101, what it is, the formation of, uh, of it for our audience. Now I want to go into where design thinking really comes into its own. So what the benefits of design thinking is and are. We've talked about the fact that this is a mindset and not a process as many believe. Why should businesses consider design thinking, do you think? When does it really come into its own and, and what are those benefits? And what does that mean in reality for the businesses who are wanting to introduce this way of working? The point is to think about when does it make sense to, to consider design thinking. And whenever an enterprise, and I'm not talking just about companies, but any kind of enterprise, whenever they have to encounter situations or with disruptive changes in their environments, they have to find completely new solutions. And that's where I think design thinking comes into its full power. It's about solving really complex problems, complex challenges and situations where people have to interact with each other or with systems, with environments in a complex way. Currently, we are in a situation with many disruptive changes. The world is changing in many disruptive ways. And that's why today design thinking has a particularly 
central significance, I think, and there's a very great value to address those challenges, to find smart and, and really human solutions. Okay, Claudia, thank you. And now I'm wondering if we can have some sort of really tangible example. Is there something that comes to mind for you where you can see the real transformative effect of, of design thinking, would you say? To talk about the real transformative effect, that's, of course, a wide field. And many examples have been reported already in the literature about what design thinking can achieve. Now, for our context, maybe let's talk about one project that actually Valtec has done in the airplane industry. The challenge was about to improve some kind of app that pilots use to plan their travel. And now the challenge was to improve it in certain ways that they really like to work with it, which they didn't to that point. So the real key point of the situation was that the team really went to the pilots and talked to them not only, but sit together with them in those planning sessions and experience on their own what the pilots are experiencing in their planning situation. And then they took it a step further in order to find a solution that included a pilot in the project team to find the proper solution. And by going this, they got a real deep understanding of the true challenge that is underlying the kind of superficial challenge and, and task at hand. And by this, they found a solution that really helped the pilots and that came out with a design for the app that follows the flow, the workflow and the working needs for the pilots in their real life. And that's the real benefit that you find solutions that that embrace the people's need, not in, in, in terms of their roles, but in, in really in the terms of them being humans and having human needs. Yeah. What does it require then from a team or a business to create this way of working or this way of thinking? Because if you've never come across design thinking before, what does it require from a physical standpoint, how does your team need to change or how do you need to, to get your team organized to be able to work in this way? I think a team that wants to start off working in a design thinking way needs a certain degree of freedom and of course of openness and willingness to do that. It would not work if you said, you guys, you now dedicated to do and learn the design thinking work style, that will not work. They have to want it from their own and they need a certain degree of freedom to learn it because it's a journey. It's a learning journey. It's not that you can just give them a certain training and that's it uh, and they just live it. No, it's, it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing discovery of their own way of collaborating. And part of the magic of design thinking is also that people with different backgrounds, different perspectives on the world, uh, when they interact, find also different solutions and have to kind of fight over the solutions. I mean, it's a collaboration, not in the way of, oh, we are all thinking alike in our mind, but we have different opinions and we have to work on those opinions to bring them together. And there is, will be moments in the team where the team has to find ways to let go of the own view of the world and in, in favor of the view of the team as such. And this also can be supported by having something like design thinking coach in the team that kind of helps the team along the process. 
and helps across those difficult but really very rich moments in the process. How would you establish a design thinking culture, though, very tangibly? I would start with just letting the team go on the journey. Start with a certain challenge, with a small challenge, where the team explores this way of working, like selecting one project that is a small thing that can be maybe addressed in two days or just say we take two days or a week and check out where we are there. Just to give you a more concrete idea, part of this design thinking approach is about, well, it's kind of structure that you start with discovering the problem space, trying to get a deeper understanding of what the challenge that you're trying to achieve. And then after a while, you transition a very smooth way to going over to the solution space. And the way you do this transition is that you start making hypotheses based on the findings that you have. And out of those hypotheses, you build experiments or prototypes that are supposed to bring you forward in the direction of a solution. And this process can be done and should be done in a recursive way. So that's why you can start with a small project, like say you take a week or so, or even only two days, put the team on a certain challenge, and let them build one or two or three prototypes and very rough prototypes because it's a very short time. Those prototypes might be rough. Rapid, <laughs> rapid prototypes. Oh, yeah, yeah. rapid. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. They are trying to get forward very quickly, but then by doing this, by enforcing the process, you also come up with results much more quicker than if you would have done a very proper planning, say, oh, we take six months and blah, blah, blah. If you say, no, you don't have six months, you just do it in a week and see where you get to. Immediately, you will find some results. And after that, after that week, you can still say, well, we now go in the next phase. This time you spend a month. We're doing a more extensive prototype. And after that, you're getting even more broader. So in this kind of recursive way, you approach face by face and a deeper understanding of the, of the challenge as such. And maybe you come closer to a solution, but maybe you just find out more about what you don't know yet about the approach. But this is kind of, of the general way that I go about all this. How do you think design thinking has been impacted by the onset of virtual working and remote working? Has that hindered the design thinking approach, would you say? Not really hindered. I think the virus and, and, and the whole pandemic situation is a perfect example for, for well, the real life situation, the real life challenges, a very human challenge, really that has to be addressed. Certainly people cannot work anymore together in one office space, but have to find other ways to collaborate and to work. And that's exactly where design thinking can help you to find solutions that work. You make assumptions, you try it, and you see what works and what works not. And in terms of the proper design thinking setup, of course, when, when you're thinking the prototyping or ideation, finding ideas, being creative, brainstorming, everybody is thinking about all people sitting in one place in one room. So it's a lot about physical space and creating physical space and working with it. But you can do the same in a virtual space. 
that's that's something that has been found out over the last two years that uh, it's working also in that space. However, the important aspect is that the design thinking team needs that degree of freedom to create the space, to influence the space, to adapt it to their needs and to adapt it to the needs of the situation within the project phase they are in currently. I really like this conversation about the the physical space being part of it as well. And you mentioned this in our in our prep call, Claudia. Tell us more about how the physical space does directly impact design thinking or how that's part of the design thinking process. Well, as you go to the phases of a design thinking and behavior, you have different requirements. Like initially, you, you just collect a lot of insights. Then you will go deeper in those insights. You will have probably interviews with people involved in the whole challenge curriculum. And for that, you need a different space and you're doing interviews with people. Uh, then if you are putting together insights, then again, you will have a situation where the team starts to create ideas. So doing some kind of brainstorming, again, that requires a different kind of space. Or now you start doing prototyping. Imagine you try to create prototypes in a, a super perfectly arranged office space with, with designer furnitures and, and well-painted walls. Nobody will try or will be willing to kind of destroy this environment. So already the team would be kind of constrained in the way they are willing to just create things because they are in, in, in a, an environment where everything is already perfect. So in order to foster a more prototype and experimenting style or mindset of the people, you need a space that allows this, that is open, that gives the people the security that they can break anything without any harm, that they can let something drop. And, and this kind of gives an example or an insight how the requirement of space changes over the project. And the team needs the kind of freedom to create the space they need for each phase of the project. But the space is kind of, you can translate it one-to-one -to, -one to the virtual space. That's the same. You have to be able to create the virtual space to, to select the right software, the right tools, the right interaction support for the team in the virtual space in the same way as you have to allow them to arrange furniture and the environment for the current leads. In your experience, then, I know you work with a lot of companies already supporting their transformations. How widespread is the design thinking mindset? Is it becoming more commonplace? Is it more standardized? Or are still lots of companies and lots of brands only just considering it now? There has been a kind of a hype phase, I think, a couple of years ago. So my understanding is that it's not that new anymore. I mean, it has been around for a long while already. I mean, we're talking like, mm -hmm. I think, 30 years even. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not brand new. But it has evolved over the time. And I think some kind of five, ten years ago, it kind of experienced a revival. And, and I think it's because of the whole uh, digital transformation and, and the challenges that come from this in, in, in the society in the same, the challenges that come off the environmental uh, situation that we're living in, all that kind of fosters the search for approaches for more, for finding innovative solutions, so real hardcore challenges. 
So it seemed, or I thought it's really established in many organizations, but now with the white paper and, and the echo it found, I found out that maybe it's not the case. And maybe that's part of the design thinking reality as well, that it's a living thing. It's not, it's not a method. It's not, it's not a process that you, where you just have a checklist that you tick off every phase. It's something that you are experiencing and that changes you, that changes the team. And it's also changed by the way the context changes. And so it's, it's kind of a living thing. And that is what is making it also difficult in a sense, because you have to keep it alive. It, it doesn't work automatically. <laughs> If that makes sense, it at does. All. Make, it does make sense, but it also begs the question: you know, if a company isn't using a design thinking uh, approach at the moment, if it's something that they're looking to introduce because they're looking to find uh, new solutions or to to solve new challenges in that way, mm-hmm. does it does that mean that they need to get someone in to help them to establish a design thinking approach, or is it something they can learn about and do on their own? I think it's helpful to have someone like a design thinking coach on board who is not entangled in the normal organizational setup because it's hard for us humans to really be neutral. We are never really. But if you bring someone in, a design thinking coach who's coming kind of from the outside, he is more outside (laughs) than Mm. the actual team in the company and that can help for the team to gain more insight about themselves because it's also a process that is happening to the team as such and that's why i think it's it's good to have someone on board there you mentioned a little bit earlier about the white paper and just to give people more context of that if they haven't uh, heard about it already claudia authored a a white paper that was released uh, just a month or so ago or probably two months ago now and the success was was huge of it. You know, we saw so many people requesting it, downloading it, looking to to find out more about about design thinking. Can you tell us a little bit more about the content of that white paper if people haven't seen it yet and what they can expect from it? And then we'll make sure that that is linked to this podcast so that people can find it if they need to. In the white paper, I was trying to put together kind of a foundation for getting a a deeper understanding of what design thinking is. It's it's addressed or written for people who have heard about it, but want to get a better understanding what it really is. You can see it maybe as some kind of one-on-one of design thinking. So it's talking about design thinking being a mindset and what the elements of this mindset really are. And it's also discussing about phases of a design thinking project, not being a process, but kind of a process. It's more phases that need to be adapted to the current situation the team founds itself in. And it's giving ideas about different methods that are embraced within those phases, project phases, but just rough ideas. So it's really the foundation and uh, from that foundation, you find hints how to find out more and to, to work deeper into the space. Yeah, We'll make sure that this is uh, linked to this podcast so that you can find it if, if you need to. Claudia, I'm wondering, design thinking, just is it just as applicable to every industry? Or do we tend to see it more in, in one industry over another? Well, I think it can be used in 
whatever industry. However, of course, it's then powerful when you are thinking about challenges that involve humans. It's really about humans and what the human factors is. At the core is that the team that is trying to solve a challenge is a team of humans and it's trying to solve a challenge for other humans. Because we are all humans, we are able to get an intuitive understanding once we have enough facts about the situation, about what is really required. So if you have an industry that is purely about automatic processes and automation, I don't think it really will help you that much. Then you can also use other methods to analyze and then try to find a deeper understanding of the situation. The true power of design thinking is really when it's about humans. But having said that, it's not just about companies and industries, but it's really about any kind of enterprise. It's it's also very helpful in, in the context of NGOs, of those huge problems like how can we find ways for us humans, so for societies to live in a more sustainable way, to not use as much resources as we currently do in our current lifestyle. So, so it's, it's a very broad approach. Helpful for the big world challenges as well. Yes, yeah, right. That's, that's where it's particularly helpful. Yeah. And what about, this is the final question then for you, because you mentioned about the rapid pro- prototyping earlier, you know, if we were thinking about how to get started on a design thinking journey of your own, we're talking about, you know, just picking a project and giving it a go and seeing what you can achieve in a short period of time. Does that mean then this lends itself well to organizations who are already following some form of agile approach to working? They'll be much more comfortable with that. What about some of those companies who perhaps haven't embarked on an agile transformation yet and are still working in a more kind of traditional waterfall approach? Can they still you know, have a go at design thinking? Is that still going to work for them? Or does it require a much broader organizational change? They can give it a go, of course, but they have to be very clear that the kind of culture that will be fostered in in a kind of a design thinking mindset is not really waterfall helpful. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's kind of opposing this very structured organizations. So if you have a team or or give the a team a freedom to to try out the design thinking approach to solving certain challenges they might come back and do not really fit again into your organization. I know from some organizations who tried to try this approach, that set up these kind of innovation teams and let them create light tower projects. And then after they have had the experiences and built prototypes, which received very well feedback, and then they returned to their usual departments and functional roles that caused a lot of frustrations with those people. (laughs) Because as I said, they didn't really fit anymore that well to that organization. And eventually, if you want to start that, you have to be open for a major change of your overall enterprise culture. At one point, this also will include the leadership team. And as we already know in our digital transformation experience, This is also the hardest part for the agile transformation when it comes up to the higher upper management level and when they start understanding that it's also about them. (laughs) So I I would say 
before a company starts going in that direction, they have to really think about what the consequences might be and to what extent they are willing to, to go that path. Some really brilliant points there, Claudia. Thank you so much for joining us and for giving us that introduction to design thinking and telling us more about it. Like I mentioned earlier, we will make sure that that white paper is available to everybody to download. Otherwise, Claudia, thank you so much. It's been great to speak to you as always and looking forward to speaking to you again soon. You're welcome. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.